Well, this morning we have a guest speaker with us, though for many of us he's not really a guest. Tim Challies is a, an elder at Grace Fellowship Church, as well as an author of many books and also a famous blogger. He speaks all around the world, helping and equipping Christians to be faithful to Jesus and his gospel. Tim is also married to his wife, Aileen, and he has three kids, Nick, Abby, and Michaela. And Michaela is with us here this morning. I had the joy of serving alongside Tim at Grace Fellowship as a fellow elder, and, and many of you also had him as your pastor, the joy of having him as your pastor. In our internet crazy world, where people intentionally seek to be controversial in order to gain influence, Tim has gained influence not by being controversial, but by being faithful. And I give thanks to God for his example of faithfulness. And so, brother, come and proclaim God's word to us. It truly is a blessing to be here today. And, of course, I bring you greetings from Grace Fellowship Church just down the road. As you know, they're worshiping right now. And uh, I can say we pray for you often, pray for you faithfully. And uh, those of you who used to be part of the church, we very much miss you still, even though it's been a good chunk of time that's elapsed. Your, your presence is still very much missed there week by week. You can take out your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'd like to focus in on a few verses from that text. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to read the first eight verses and we're going to hone in on a few of them there. 1 Timothy chapter 5, which says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'll tell you why we're focusing in on those verses today, and that's because I like to keep my ear to the ground in my church. I preach there just every now and again. So I like to keep my ear to the ground for the kind of questions that our church members are asking. That way I can think about those specific issues, and since I'm not preaching my way through a book of the Bible like the other pastors, I can just focus in on certain subjects, certain topics. And over the last year or so, I began to hear quite a lot of questions from church members about the relationship of adult children and their parents. And that's especially true when their parents were elderly, their parents were infirm, or their parents were impoverished. So I started to hear this from quite a number of people in my own circle there and decided to address it. As Christians, we understand that we're called by God to honor our father and our mother. God makes that perfectly clear in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is given you. 
So we know that as children, we may no longer need to obey our parents as we did when we were young. As, as adults, we don't need to obey our parents. But we do still have the responsibility to honor them. But what honor looks like can actually be pretty tricky. So I asked my church a few simple questions, and I've actually had the opportunity to speak on this a few times around the world, and it's very interesting some of the reactions to these questions. True or false? When parents get old, it is a good and a noble thing. It's a sign of your love and respect to help your parents move into a retirement home or into a nursing home. I asked that question in Zambia. I thought I was going to get thrown out of the place. It did not go well. True or false? It is shameful for parents to ask their grown children for financial support. True or false? It is an honor and a privilege that parents or parents-in-law would someday move into their children's home and live there with their family. Now, I think for every one of those questions, some people would say, absolutely true. Some people would say, absolutely false. But most of us would be answering along the lines of culture. We'd be answering along the lines of the culture in which we were raised. Parents and and culture, they put expectations on us. We put expectations on ourselves. But I think as Christians, we know that what really matters is God's expectation on us. So what I wanted to do as I heard these questions within my church is to take them to the Bible, and that's where we come to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So I'm going to pray briefly that God would open up the word to us so we could understand it and obey it, and then we'll dive into it. Let me pray. Father, that is our prayer. We admit our weakness. We admit our lack of knowledge. We admit our own biases. So we turn to your word, praying that your spirit would illumine the truth to us, which we understand transcends culture, transcends birth family, all of that. We pray that you would show us the truth from your word so we can honor and obey you by honoring our parents. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Timothy 5, there are four headings we're going to work through, two of them very brief, two of them a little bit longer. The first heading is this, church, be a family. And it's interesting that we just sang, we sang that song, blessed be the tie that binds, that assumes that church is a family, calls us to live that out in the local church relationship. And then Pete, in his pastoral prayer, mentioned this as well. So as we come into 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is addressing an issue that Pastor Timothy is facing in his church in Ephesus. And this is an issue related to caring for widows, to women whose husband had died or whose husband had abandoned her. And we know from the book of Acts, you read through the book of Acts, you'll see quickly that from the church's earliest days, it was caring for widows. And so in this little part of a longer letter, Paul clarifies the church's responsibility toward widows And he does that by telling Timothy, here's who the church should provide for and should support, and here's who the church should not provide for, should not support. But before he does that, he wants to lay a foundation. So he reminds Timothy that church is family. The local church is a family. So in verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And so as Timothy thinks about the local church, as he thinks specifically about widows, in the back of his mind is to be family. He's to take as his starting point the family, to relate to the church as a family relates to one another. 
Thus, he should treat older men with all the respect of a father, younger men with all the affection of a brother, older women with all the devotion of a mother, younger women with all the purity of a sister. Why should he do all that? Because in a spiritual sense, these people are his family. They deserve to be treated as family. So Paul lays that family foundation for what follows. He says, church, be a family. And then Paul begins his instruction on how to care for widows. And he essentially says, church, honor true widows. Honor true widows. It's our second heading there. Now, why is caring for widows so important? That's because widows represent an especially vulnerable group. These widows often had no means of support, and they had no one to protect them, no one to advocate for them. The society in which they were living didn't have these advanced pension programs, didn't have advanced welfare programs. So women who were abandoned or women whose husbands had died They were often left alone. They were often reduced to poverty. They were often easily taken advantage of. And so what were these women to do? Well, they would often then appeal to the church for help. And it would become the responsibility of the local church then to care for them. Now, in this passage, Paul affirms that responsibility, but he also defines the responsibility. So in verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are truly widows truly widows and so there's a simple affirmation there of the church's responsibility you need to honor widows to honor is to give respect to or to give recognition to or to attach importance to and wrapped up in honor and the whole notion of honor is the idea of providing for needs providing for material or financial needs Right after this, Paul will tell the church to show honor to its preachers and teachers. And how do they show honor to the preachers and teachers? By paying them. By paying them so they can be set aside for this full-out, full-time commitment to their work. In the book of Matthew, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for failing to honor their parents. What What did these kids do that was so dishonoring? They were holding back financial support from their parents. In fact, they found this sneaky, pseudo-spiritual way of holding back support that they actually owed to their parents. So biblically, then, honor extends from basic respect, respecting your parents, all the way up to providing for their financial needs when they have such a need. And so the church is not just to welcome widows. The church is to go farther. It's to support them to provide for them. Remember, Paul has just said, treat older women as mothers. And now he's telling the church, so act out that that child-to-mother relationship toward the widows in your church. However, he does place a condition on this. He doesn't say, honor every widow. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. So there's some widows who are to be provided for, And there are others who are not to be provided for. That raises the question, what is, according to Paul, what is a true widow? Paul gives two criteria. First, a true widow has a genuine financial need. And second, she has genuine Christian character. We see these both in verse 5. He says, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So a true widow is alone, which means she's got no one else who can step in and provide for her. And also, she's alone, she's also godly. There's a character qualification here. Paul summarizes that theme of godliness by talking about her prayer life. He says she's the kind of woman who's given herself to prayer. Conversely, she's not the kind of woman who is self-indulgent, the kind of person who sees widowhood as her her chance to throw off all constraints, to throw off all responsibility, to to pursue a life of depravity or or luxury. Maybe today's equivalent of just heading down to Vegas and just having a grand old time. Not that kind of widow. So true widows are those who have a genuine financial need and those who show genuine Christian character. See, the church is not a provider of social services to the community. That's not its main purpose. Rather, the church is a family that cares for its own members. And so if this woman is a member of God's family, she's a member of a church family, then it falls to that church to support her. So the church has to make that evaluation. Is this person a true widow according to the biblical criteria, or is she not? Now, Remember, our our theme here today is grown children and their aging parents. But we're getting there. We have to lay this foundation first. But I just want to pause and apply what we've learned so far. First, we need to see God's heart here. I think it's so important. God, through the Apostle Paul here, commands the church to care for widows. Why would God command the church to care for widows? Because God cares for widows. God hates and God is opposed to any system that either ignores or that takes advantage of people who are unprotected or people who are susceptible to harm. Psalm 68 calls God the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. How is that for a title to give to somebody? He is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. The Old Testament, as you read it, it's full of these calls for God's people to care for the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the vulnerable. So in Deuteronomy 27, we read the Levites were to say to the people, so the Levites, the religious leaders, were to say to all the gathered people, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Such people were to be under the curse of God, and the whole congregation was to echo back, Amen. Just think about that. Think about what's happening there. The whole nation gathered, echoing back, We agree, God's curse ought to be upon anybody who fails to protect the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. In God's nation, when it was run according to God's law, He established rights and protections for those who were vulnerable. Not only that, he gave these terrible warnings about what would happen if these people failed to protect others. And so in Ezekiel, God warns, he he says, My judgment has fallen upon you. My judgment has broken out against you. Why? Here's his explanation. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. So God embedded care for the widow into the laws of his land. Now, that was in the the ancient theocracy of Israel, but today God still provides for his needy people, and he does so 
through the church. God is spiritually present in this world through his Holy Spirit, but he's physically present through his church. So we are then charged with carrying out his work, to expressing his love here and now. So that's the first thing we need to see. The second is this. We live in a highly socialized country. So so we may not have a lot of that kind of widow. We may, but we may not. It's possible. And if we do, we should be willing to help those people. But, But most people living in Canada in the 21st century, they've got access through the government, through governmental programs, to the the resources that will cover at least their basic needs. And and well and good. We're all thankful for that. But even though it's true we may not see exactly the criteria that Paul lays out here, I don't think it's a stretch then to extend the principle in a few ways. Like, Like perhaps extending it to a widow who doesn't lack money, but who may lack love, who may lack relationship. You probably know today many people, including widows, are financially wealthy, but relationally impoverished. So they've got the kind of money that can provide for professional care for them, but they don't have a community that can love them and express affection toward them. So the church then has the opportunity to provide for that relational need and to provide for other needs among its members. I think most churches are good at doing that on Sunday. You're all together in one space. We can easily express love for one another. But but what about the other six days of the week? I I think at Grace Fellowship Church, we've had to evaluate ourselves on this a little bit and, and realize our church, like most churches, I don't think we do quite so well there. There are ways we can help each other through the week, like caring for a home and property or assisting people with transportation or uh, shopping trips, that sort of thing. That elderly woman, that elderly widow, after all, is to be treated like a mother. Would you take your mother to her doctor's appointments? Would you make sure she's got relationships, not just on Sunday for a couple of hours, but all throughout the week? The fact is, there's many people in every church who who really need a man to love them in a son-like way and need a woman who can love them in a daughter-like way. Then the church also provides the need of purpose. Paul writes of widows who continue in supplications and prayers day and night. I think there he's pointing out a key role in the church that's ideal for widows and really ideal for other people who are elderly. You can pray. You can pray. Even if your physical strength has waned, I think your spiritual strength is just beginning to peak. So why not commit yourself then to prayer? The church needs you. The church needs you to pray for them. And the amazing thing is that's a ministry you can carry out in the church building, in your home, from your bed. This ministry may prove to be the most significant, the greatest ministry of your life, if only you'll give yourself to it. So that's Paul's message, church, honor true widows. And he carefully distinguishes between true widows who should receive the church's support and what are not true widows who should not receive that support. As you keep reading the passage, you'll see he goes into that even more. However, we're going to turn aside a little bit here because we've turned to this passage because we want to explore the responsibility of grown children to their parents. We've all heard sermons 
targeted toward children, young children, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, that sort of thing. We know that young children are to honor their parents, they show honor by obeying their parents, that's clear. But what about grown-up children toward their elderly, their aging parents? Now the, the passage we're looking at, its primary purpose is to address the church about widows, I think we've got at least a, some understanding now of what Paul calls us to there. But as Paul addresses the church, he also addresses individuals. And he speaks to an issue that's related to all this. And he says something like this, child, honor your parents. We'll take that as our third heading, child, honor your parents. So look again at verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So here's what this teaches us. Even though Christians are a family, Paul established that right out of the gate. Christian churches are family. Even though that spiritual family is real, it does not negate, it does not replace the biological family. Which means, if there is a widow in the church, the first responsibility for her care is not the church, but her children and her grandchildren. So in this way, we see Christians are members of what you might consider different, different levels of family. The first duty of care falls to the immediate family, father, mother, children. After that, duty falls to extended family, grandparents, grandchildren, possibly aunts, uncles, cousins, people who are related, but maybe a little more distantly. And only then, only then if there's no one who's able to provide or no one who's willing to provide, only then does the church family assume care. So it's like there are these concentric circles that go out from immediate family to extended family to church family. The duty begins here in that smallest circle and then it broadens out. Now the text says children or grandchildren should learn to show godliness to their own household. You probably know this, godliness always begins in the home. It always begins in the family. Which means anyone who wishes to be truly godly, according to God's definition of godliness, anyone who wishes to be godly must take care of his primary responsibilities before his secondary responsibilities. And it's clear, providing for immediate family, that falls within that smallest circle. That's within your primary responsibilities. What does that kind of godliness involve? Verse 4, Paul says, make some return to their parents. Children are to make some return to their parents. When he talks about making a return, he's really talking about repaying a kind of debt. So in Paul's way of thinking, it's like children accumulate a debt before their parents. So maybe, I, notice this thing that happens when you, you teach Christians something, our first thought always goes to the exceptions. Yeah, but what about? And so Paul says here, you have accumulated a debt before your parents. And I think our minds immediately go to, ah, come on, what have my parents done that I ought to repay? Well, first and most obviously, your parents gave you the gift of life. They brought you into this world so you could love God and you could be loved by God. And for all of eternity, 
at that. That is of immense value. That is of immense worth. And then from the moment of your conception, your parents cared for you. Your mother endured illness and she, she ate carefully. She choked down those massive vitamins, all of that stuff, just so you could have a safe environment in which to develop. She suffered while giving birth to you. From the day of your birth, your parents took care of your every need. They took care of your every expense. They fed you. They cuddled you. You know they changed your diaper more than 6,000 times. That's a a lot of diaper changing. They clothed you. They educated you. They let you learn to drive their car. On and on it goes. That's what your parents did for you. What did you do for your parents in all that time? You cried a lot. You woke them up at night. You spilled stuff. You probably dented their car. And all along, probably you complained an awful lot that they hadn't done even more for you. Even with all that they gave you, you probably still had the audacity to complain about what they did. Children raised in a Christian home, you got even more to be grateful for. Since your parents introduced you to the Bible and they took you to church and they shared the gospel with you, they spent hours in prayer for you, seeking God's favor on your behalf. You know what a privilege it is to have praying parents. You know what a privilege it is to have parents who teach you about Jesus. See, I think Paul's on pretty good ground here saying, make some return to your parents. It's like by the time you grow up, you've got this huge imbalance between one side of a scale and another side. On one side is all that your parents have done for you, and on the other side, all that you've done for your parents. You probably don't do a whole lot to address that imbalance when you're in your 20s or when you're in your 30s. But then, Paul's saying, then as your parents age, as they grow older, now you're given the opportunity to make a return. Now you're given the opportunity to to right the scales a little bit. And how do you do that? You do that by beginning to care for your parents in some of the ways that they cared for you. As children age, they grow in physical strength. They grow in the ability to make money. They grow in the capacity to make good and wise decisions. Meanwhile, inevitably, their parents begin to diminish in strength. They begin to lose their ability to make money. They may even begin to struggle in their capacity to make certain decisions. At some point, roles begin to reverse. Roles that seem so clear early in life, they begin to reverse a little bit more as children grow more and more independent their parents tend to grow more and more dependent and right here right here at this point paul is calling for children to to see this to identify this to own this and to take it on as their responsibility I think as Canadians, we need to face this. It's not first the responsibility of the government to make sure that your parents are being treated well and that they're living in comfort and that they're receiving care, though certainly they can help and we're free to take advantage of that care, of that help. It's not even first the responsibility of the church. It's your responsibility as their child. If that's specifically true, as in the context here for children whose mother has been widowed, it's generally true even for children whose parents are both still alive. Because the great controlling principle here is just honor. 
All we're doing here is just working out the implications of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Why should you do all this? Why should you honor your parents? Why should you make some return to them? Paul gives you two reasons, two really good reasons. The first is related to God's special revelation in the Bible. At the end of verse 4, he says, This is pleasing in the sight of God. God has revealed in the Bible that children should honor parents. If God's revealed it, then it honors God. It brings glory to God when we simply obey what God has told us to do. So the first reason is related to God's special revelation. The second is related to God's general revelation in nature. So in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Even people who have never read a Bible know children care for parents. God has just embedded this into humanity. And again, I think as as 21st century Canadians, especially those of us who have been Canadian for many generations, I think this is a huge rebuke to us. That for many of us, we're glad to just cast off our parents, to think we owe them nothing as they grow older. Yet, people coming from overseas, people who are not Christians, are coming and diligently caring for their parents. They're obeying what God has embedded in nature. Well, we ignore it. The person who refuses this God-given duty, he's acting shamefully. He's acting worse than the most defiant unbeliever. So what do we see here? We see that God has designed family to serve a unique function. While the spiritual family, it's real, it will endure into all eternity, the biological family, the biological family is the core social unit in the world. And all that God has created, the family remains that core social unit. And one of its chief functions is to provide care and love and support from birth to death. Just as it's not chiefly the role of the state or church to care for our children, it's not chiefly the role of the state or the church to care for the elderly. In verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, command these things as well so they may be without reproach. Which means listening to these instructions, heeding them, obeying them. This is a key to living a life that is above reproach, the kind of life that brings glory to God. So practically, let's think about how we can do that. The text makes at least this perfectly clear. You have the first duty of care toward vulnerable family members who are lacking the necessities of life. You do. If you fail to provide for the genuine needs of your own family, especially that closest circle of family, You are disobeying God, and as a Christian, you're bringing reproach upon the gospel. So if your widowed mother, or your disabled brother, or your invalid grandfather is languishing alone and in poverty, will you prosper? You ought to repent, and you ought to provide. Beyond that, beyond that, we enter into this realm where things may be a little less clear, so we need to move carefully And with lots of prayer. See, in this passage, Paul seems to present a kind of idealized family where there's two or three generations of Christians who are loving the Lord and honoring him and serving him together. Yet, for some of us, we can only wish. Or maybe maybe you're the elderly one 
and your family has made it clear they're not following the Lord here. They don't intend to obey what God commands here. That can be a great sorrow. Or maybe you're the younger one, and your parents are demanding this kind of honor. They're demanding this kind of support from you while they themselves are living in total, abject disobedience to God. And so I understand that's the context in which so many of these questions came up when I was just pastoring people in my church, young people saying, my parents are demanding this of me. What do I do? I understand that many people have very complicated, very difficult relationships with their family. What would be very easy to apply in a perfect world is very, very difficult to apply in a broken, messed up world like this one. I asked those true and false questions when we began here, and I think you can see the answers aren't always perfectly clear. Sometimes giving money to parents is providing for a genuine financial need. But sometimes giving money to parents is just enabling sin or enabling laziness. Sometimes parents have a real need for our time and our attention. Sometimes their expectations are unfair. Sometimes they're overbearing. Sometimes using the services of a nursing home or retirement home is just dumping our parents. But sometimes it really is loving them because that's the place they can receive the care they need, the attention they need. So God has given us this big command And he entrusts us to apply it to the nitty-gritty of our unique situations. Thankfully, God has provided his word, he's provided his spirit, he's provided his church. We can take advantage of them all as we decide what to do in our unique settings and trust that God will show us the way. As I've spoken to people, though, and thought about this myself, and I should say, I, I prepared this message first. I was asked to speak on family at Muskoka Bible Conference last summer and so I prepared a lot of this material then at that time I had two living healthy parents and so this was very abstract since then my dad died very unexpectedly so now I'm relating to my mother as a widow and so this has really changed how I think about this this has become very real just in the last couple of months as I've spoken to other people as I've thought about this myself I think a lot of our concerns a lot of our fears when it comes down to caring and providing for our family, just boils down to giving up time and giving up money. Those are things we're always reluctant to give up because they're always in short supply. None of us has too much time. None of us has too much money. And we also tend to convince ourselves we'll have more of them at some point in the future. There's some point later on where I'll have more time, and then I can give you time. There's some point later on I'll have more money, and then I can be generous with you. So God, if it's okay, I'd like to obey tomorrow or next year, not not today. We need to remember both time and money are a gift from God. He owns them. He just gives them to us so we can steward them. And we can be sure that whatever else is true, God gives us enough time and enough money to do the things he means for us to do with them. He gives us enough time to fulfill our duties toward our parents. He gives us enough money to meet our obligations for our parents. It would be to our shame if we took the time God has given us, then ignored responsibilities so we could pursue pleasure, we could pursue just mindless entertainment. It would be to our shame if we accepted the money God has given us. He's so freely provided. We accepted the money God's given, but then held it back from people with a genuine need, especially people who fall within our 
area of responsibility. God does not give us time and money so we can carry out our own will. He gives us time and money so we can carry out his will. So we need to bring our will into conformity with God's will and then faithfully steward those precious resources he's given us. So I think as we take these matters before the Lord in our own unique circumstances, we need to ask God to give us clarity into our own heart and give us clarity into his heart. But then maybe consider this. Could it ever be wrong to lean to the side of mercy? Could it ever be wrong to lean to the side of grace, to lean to the side of giving a little bit more rather than a little bit less? God tells us the one who's been forgiven little loves little. The one who's been forgiven much loves much. So have you been loved a little or have you been loved much? Have you been forgiven little? Have you been forgiven much? The gospel says Jesus took the punishment you deserved so you could have a holiness that you don't deserve. It was given to you as a gift, a gift that came only through the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, who are you to now relate to your parents only on the basis of what you think they deserve? If you're going to relate to your parents only on the basis of what you think you deserve, it's like you're asking God to relate to you only on the basis of what you deserve. And trust me when I tell you, you do not want God to relate to you only on the basis of what you deserve. You can love your parents far better than your parents loved you. You can give to your parents far more than they gave you. You can make a return that's dramatically bigger than what they gave you. And because of the gospel, you can do it all with joy, with freedom. Just got one fourth and final quick heading to look at, which is simply honor God. The the whole thrust of this passage, the whole thrust of the Bible, how to honor and obey our God, how to know who he is, and then how to live on behalf of, in relation to that knowledge, how to live in a way that pleases and honors him. In this case, we honor God by honoring our parents. In fact, honoring our parents is honoring God. You can't honor God while you dishonor your parents. Just briefly, before we close, I want to talk to those who, well, kind of like myself, maybe realizing, actually, we're the ones who are getting old. We're the ones who are kind of getting a little bit older. Our kids are suddenly growing up or grown up. My son turns 20 in a, in a week or two. I mean, getting older here. How can we honor God? We in this sort of between generation. How should I relate to my children when that time comes for me? How should I expect my children to relate to me? What does the Bible say about how they should relate to me? So if you're in my situation, let me just say, first, teach your children, and second, prepare yourself. We need to teach and train our children in this. I think we as Christians have done this big disservice, and we've done our children a disservice in not coming to settled biblical convictions on this matter of how adult children are to care for their aging parents, not coming to settled convictions, and then not teaching our children those biblical expectations. Many of us lay culturally-based expectations on our kids. Some of us do that very explicitly. Some of us just kind of by what they've seen, by what they've observed, Those cultural expectations might be far too high. They might be far too low when measured against Scripture. 
I don't think many of us are thinking clearly, biblically, faithfully, and then discipling our children so they know how to obey God here. We need to teach and train our children, and then hopefully as we care for our parents, model to them how they could care for us. But we don't just need to train our children, we need to prepare ourselves. So how should we prepare ourselves for the time when our children are strong and we are weak, when our children are growing in their capabilities, but we're increasingly needy? As is so often the case in the Christian life, I think we're battling between two extremes here. On the one side is this proud independence, as if becoming dependent upon our children is a mark of weakness or failure. I talked to um, a couple not so long ago who said essentially, our expectation for our children is that if we ever become even a little bit of a burden, they will get rid of us, they'll put us in a home and forget about us. We want nothing to do with being a burden on our children. We're independent, we want to stay that way, so just forget about us. If we lean to that side, we'll think we've utterly failed our children if we place any expectation on them whatsoever. I don't know about you, that sounds an awful lot like pride to me. The fact is, we are weak today. We are only going to get weaker. By the time we're in our 40s, there's not a lot of athletes who are in their 40s, right? There's good reason for that. You've already physically peaked, so it's not going to get any better. We're getting weaker. We just have to admit that. God has promised he'll provide for us in our weakness. And it sounds from this passage like God's provision for us is through family. God intends to provide for us through our children someday. God designed family to be this network of mutual care and support that extends from birth to death. So we, we have the duty, we have the privilege of caring for our children when they were young, We expect they'll have the duty, the privilege of caring for us as we age. That's just God's design. So we need to prepare to depend upon them. The extreme on the other side, though, is a selfish entitlement, acting as if our children bear all the responsibility. That that mentality of, look, I provided for you, now you provide for me. Yet, Proverbs 13.22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So wisdom dictates that as parents, you work hard, you attempt to provide for the needs of your children when they're young, and for your own needs when you're old. So even as you prepare to depend upon your children in some ways, you try to make that load as light as possible through diligent labor, careful saving, wise planning. Somewhere between those two extremes of of proud independence and selfish entitlement, I think we can find this really beautiful balance. We raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We work hard and we provide for our children to the best of our abilities. We discharge our God-given responsibilities to our children. Then as we grow older, we rely upon our kids so they can discharge their responsibility to us. They make a return to us in time, in love, in care, maybe even if necessary in money. And if for some reason they're unable to do so, then we know that God's family, the church, will step in and assume that care. There's something beautiful about this when it's working according to God's design. We cared for our children as they entered this world 
falls to our children to care for us as we leave this world. We were there for them when they drew their first breath. They'll be there for us when we draw our last breath. We laid them in the cradle. They lay us in the grave. We'll have to say farewell. But if we know Christ, and if they know Christ, this is farewell for just, just a little while. When their generation gives way to the next and the time comes, surely, whatever else is true about eternity, surely we get to be part of that welcoming committee that greets them at the gates of heaven and will be there together forever. Not first as fathers and sons, not first as mothers and daughters, but as brothers and sisters in this great family of our great Father. We pray that the Lord would make it so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is able to guide us into all righteousness. As, as your people, we want to live in ways that are pleasing to you. So we thank you that your word reveals you, your word reveals your will, your word reveals how we can be obedient to it. And so we pray that as we've heard from your word today, we would ponder these things, we would pray about these things, we pray that we would apply them to our lives. We pray that we would live differently from the world around us. We pray that we would live in such a way that, that um, parents are honoring their children and children are honoring their parents, and that through it all, you are receiving all glory and all praise. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.